Well, good morning. It is a beautiful morning. It's great to see you all here. I want to make sure um, that you know we've got communion uh, elements in the back. If you didn't grab them, you can grab them anytime. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm on the elder team here at Hollis Center Church and also on the preaching team. Uh, There is going to be a funeral here later in this afternoon. And so as a result, those of you that might help to clean up chairs and uh, put them aside will not need to do that. Uh, Sorry for taking that opportunity for service away from you today. (laughs) We'll need you next week. Um, By way of uh, um, information for you, uh, David and Caleb are both, uh, boy, there's a lot going on. I don't know if you've seen Dorothy. (laughs) Have you seen Dorothy? Well, did you see her Instagram post where she goes, any day now? Uh, so David is going to be having a new one. He's going to have a baby boy. That's so exciting. And so there's going to be some paternity leave coming up for him. Uh, and Caleb has just started a vacation, and he's been working with the elders and with his team, the music and the youth and the operations, to set himself up uh, to start a bit of a sabbatical. And so that's actually starting off, and that's just really, really exciting. You want to get a chance to chat with him about that at some point, but um, that's what's going on. And so uh, Caleb's been on staff for seven years here. Can you believe that? Seven years, wow. Uh, And so David will be doing his sabbatical next summer. And if you're that person that goes, what? I thought we just took pastors and rang them just as hard as we could until they were so burnt out they were useless. Isn't that what we do? If that's what you think we do to pastors, I invite you to find another church. Um, so we're excited that they're both going to have some time. But what does that mean? That means Steve and Sydney are going to be up here, and we love to be a great team. And you saw what she was able to do this morning. Um, and so any of the elders, you got questions about any of that, let us know. Excited about all of it. We are in the book of Acts, witnesses to the end. Boy, we got a lot to do today, and it's just so cool. So I'm going to try and stick to my notes so we're not here for too, too long. Last week, if you were here, and if you recall, a sermon um, that I preached was entitled Missing the Mark. Remember the finger uh, with my granddaughter? And the point that we we saw was there are many wonderful things that point us to Jesus. And Jesus should be our focus and not those things. And we saw about a guy named Simon who was really enamored with the signs and wonders, and he was missing the point of Jesus. And so that was the first 25 verses of Acts chapter 8. And today we're going to look at a man named Philip's interaction with an Ethiopian. Philip was in Samaria, and today he's going to interact with an Ethiopian who's traveling between Jerusalem and his home. And so today's sermon title is No Limits. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, great. All the verses will be up on the projection system If you'd like your own Bible, there's some on the sides, and if you don't have one, that's yours to take home. So last week, Philip went to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They had it wrong about where the temple should be. They thought the Old Testament was just the first five books of the Bible, and the Jews regarded the Samaritans as heretical outsiders. That's how they were viewed. And Philip went to them and preached the gospel and Go back to that sermon if you want to see how cool and wonderful and the the multitudes of people that came to Christ. Today we're going to see Philip minister to an Ethiopian. 
Ethiopian, you say. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Martin Hengel says that the Jews, of which Philip was one, regarded Ethiopia as the extreme boundary of the habitable world in the hot south. So it was pretty much like, to us, Florida. <laughs> uh, it was just kind of the edge of the known world. And so... I want to remind you where we are. Chapter 8 of Acts is the first time the good news about Jesus goes past Jerusalem. This chapter is the first time it goes past Jerusalem. And last week we saw it go to those who were rejected. And today we see it go to the edge of the habitable world. And so I want to make sure we own this. What is Luke, what is God through Luke trying to tell us? Why of all the accounts that happened as the persecution in Jerusalem scattered believers far and wide, does, does Luke pick last week's account with the Samaritan and this week's account with the Ethiopian to be the first things he shares as the gospel exits Jerusalem, as Christians who are being persecuted scatter? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think the point is this. Our point for today, God's love runs to the most rejected and the most far off. I think that is the point that we are to take from chapter 8. And what we see in Acts chapter 8 is God orchestrating events. He's orchestrating events so that those that are rejected and those that are far off learn of his love. And so where are you today? Do you feel like you are far from God? Do you feel like you've been rejected? Well, today, God has a word for you. He loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Are you in a place where you know Jesus? He's close to you. You're living under his grace. Well, what about the rejected and the far off in your life that don't know the good news about Jesus? Does God's love flow through you to them, or do they only sense judgment and disapproval from you? Well, as I said, today's passage in Acts has something for all of us. Let's get started. The first couple verses, get up and go. We're going to look at Acts 8, 26, and 27. And as we read, we want to make sure we have the context. Philip was a rock star. He was a deacon, chosen seven Hellenistic Jews to minister to the church. The persecution that Saul brought in just exploded them. He wound up possibly with just a shirt on his back in Samaria. Multitudes of people gave their lives to Jesus. And then Peter and John even came down and wow, yes, and they laid hands on people and the Holy Spirit arrived. It was all kicked off by Philip. Philip was the man. And then this happens, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke inserts, this is a desert place. Verse 27, and he rose and went. Boyce tells us that Philip was the frontline man. He seemed to be utterly indispensable, yet it was at precisely this moment when God called him to leave the area. Imagine. He's got throngs of people coming to Jesus, wanting to learn. The Holy Spirit signs and wonders, and the Spirit goes, um, yeah, I need you to go like 50 miles down that way. So I want you to think about Gaza kind of like that last stop before the long stretch of nothing on your way up to Holton. Okay? 
as a gas station, a Dollar General connected to an Irving. The speed limit's only 25, and there's three speed traps. That's Gaza, a small town. It's right on the edge of the desert. And worse than that, it's full of Philistines, a group of people very much at odds with Philip's people. And he had to walk 50 miles to get there. Wow. Bottom line, this whole deal is super inconvenient and super uncomfortable for Philip. There is nothing for him to gain in this trip, but he went anyway. And it says simply, he rose and went. And then we get introduced to a VIP, continuing in verses 27 and 28. A VIP, a very important person. Let's continue on reading in verse 27. It says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this Ethiopian man is a big deal. He's a powerful guy in high standing in the office of the queen of Ethiopia. So he's the real deal. And this Ethiopia that's mentioned in Luke's time is much larger than modern-day Ethiopia. It was the land where the queen of Sheba came from, who saw the glory of Solomon's kingdom, if you remember that from the Old Testament, and professed faith in the God of Israel. And it's possible that pieces of that Jewish faith passed on through her through the centuries to men like this servant of the queen. And the text says that he's a eunuch. This means that he had been castrated. They did this to people that worked in close proximity to the queen to make sure that everything was above board. Uh, interesting approach, right? What once was a good idea? Never mind. Um, but if you, have, if you have more questions about this, John Robertson will be up here down front after we get done today to explain this to you, if, especially if you have little kids that want more information, John would be, he'll be right up here. I'm so glad he came today. Um, Mark Pierce isn't here. He was going to get that. So he owes you, I'm sure. All right. Let's keep reading in verse 27. He said, he come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this guy is a successful man, but his success obviously didn't answer all the questions in his life. He went on a pilgrimage of sorts and went to Jerusalem. He knew he needed some real spiritual answers in his life, and he was seeking God. There is so much interesting about this, okay? He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. First thing, he must have been someone that probably had converted to Judaism. We don't know exactly what that would have looked like for him because he wasn't a Jew by birth. He was an Ethiopian. Second, Deuteronomy 23.1 prohibits any man who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting, that's the exact quote, from entering the Israelite assembly. Eunuchs were generally seen as outcasts in the Jewish community. Most people looked down on a eunuch as a half-man, because he was incapable of marriage and natural fatherhood. God's love runs to the most rejected and the most far off. I love this. I love that the Bible's teaching us that the gospel is available to anyone, no matter where they are, what they've done, what their cultural heritage is, it doesn't matter, it's available to everyone. In any case, the government official 
He's sitting in his chariot, and he had a scroll. He had a copy of the prophet Isaiah. People did not just walk around with scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. It wasn't something that just might be sitting in your car. You had to be someone of means to have access to it. The printing press was a long way away at this point. And this guy had means, and he'd been to Jerusalem, and God was preparing him to meet Jesus so that the gospel could spread. And so next, what do you have? We have a divine appointment in verses 29 through 33. It is really, really important, and you, if you're here every week, you're just going to get tired of me saying it, and that's great. I love that. That means you'll remember it. That what we look at when we read this account and these accounts in Acts, they are not just a random set of occurrences, of happenstance events. God is putting people together so that the gospel is spread. God's providence, his total purposive control, is guiding this entire account. It isn't Philip was just wandering around one day and found some Ethiopian guy and went, oh, hey, he probably needs to hear the gospel. No, do you see what's happening? The Spirit says, Philip, get out of the massive ministry that you're in and go 50 miles down the road and then just go. And he's got an Ethiopian sitting in a chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. He's guiding this entire account. Case in point, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The new King James says, go near and overtake this chariot. So it would indicate that the, that the language is that the chariot was moving. Like me, I'm quite sure Philip had his ASICs on. So he was able to run really fast. <laughs> but that's the picture. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 30. Verse 30. So, so Philip ran to him and heard him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, uh, how can I? How can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip was in good shape, which we can see by how far he walked and that he's now actually running. I wonder what this looked like. Do you, do you know what you're reading? <laughs> That's the picture I have. You take it home with you. It's fine. But I do. I think he was jogging alongside the chariot and he heard the Ethiopian reading and said, hey, does that make any sense to you? It was common in the ancient world, just so you don't think it's too strange, to read aloud. When you're reading, you read aloud. Philip knew what the Ethiopian was reading by listening as he read, and he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? And it was great for the Ethiopian to read the Bible, but unless understanding was brought to him, there's little benefit from his reading. But God had brought someone, Philip, to this Ethiopian to bring understanding. And it was a good question. It was a good question. It wasn't offensive. It was just a gracious offer to explain the passage if the Ethiopian official was interested in receiving one. And the Ethiopian said, I have no idea what I'm reading. That's pretty much the translation you can work with. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I need help. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And this is the proper question of anyone who wants to understand the Bible. We should never feel bad 
if we need to be taught before we can understand lots of things that God has for us. And it's really, really wonderful when we come to understand great truths of the Bible on our own, and please chase it. But God also has a place and a purpose for teachers and other people around you among the followers of Jesus. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Verse 32 and 33. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And so this passage comes about seven to 800 years before Jesus. And it is a beautiful prophecy, beautiful prophecy pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. And we'll be reading more of the passage as we celebrate communion in just a bit. But then the eunuch asks, a great question in the next couple of verses. Just a great question. And so this is one of the ways that we can see that God was working. Curiosity. Trying to understand. May we never stop asking questions, even hard ones, seeking understanding. It's really cool to just see it in action here in this passage. If you're trying to figure out God and what he wants for you and what he's done for you, Never stop asking questions. In verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, Ah, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And so this, is, this passage is from Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. And the Jews of that day, so he'd gone to Jerusalem, he had the scroll of Isaiah, he probably understood that there were different ways people understood this. There were different ways that they understood this identity of the suffering servant that is talked about in Isaiah 53. Some thought that the suffering servant was the nation of Israel itself. Because Israel had suffered a lot in wars and exile and persecution, much of it brought on by themselves. Some also thought the suffering servant was Isaiah writing about himself. And some thought the suffering servant was was the Messiah, but a lot of that folks found that hard to accept because... The Messiah suffering didn't make sense. How beautiful is it, though, when we have all the pieces and we see what an amazing picture of Christ's sacrifice this is. In verse 35, and I just love how this is communicated. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. (laughs) Philip, I'm sure, talked about more than this passage from Isaiah, but he started there. He began at common ground with the Ethiopian, but made his way to talking about Jesus. It was easy to talk about Jesus beginning at this scripture. (laughs) Because the whole Bible points to Jesus in one way or another, we really can begin in just about any passage and find where it leads to Jesus. There's some amazing resources that that show that we've We've done a video here showing how so many of the Old Testament stories point to Jesus. And Philip told him the good news about Jesus. It consisted in explaining who Jesus was. He was like a lamb without blemish, perfect, and what he's done for us. He was led like a 
like a sheep to the slaughter. Explaining who Jesus is and what he's done for us is the essence of the gospel. Explaining who Jesus is and what he's done for us is the essence of the gospel. Explaining who Jesus is and what he's done for us is the essence of the gospel. Many of us, because we're human, focus on what we must do for God and what others must do for God, but the gospel begins with and is founded upon what God has done for us in Christ. Amen? Okay, so we have to be so careful that we're not moralizers first, that we're not folks that have put a list together and just make sure that the stuff that I deal with isn't on that list, but you definitely need to make sure you work on it. I've been reading Romans recently in Romans 7. Oh, I'm, I got to get back to my notes. But in Romans 7, the fundamental point when Paul says, Paul says, man, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I can't. I, I, sin is sitting right there next to me when I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm just not able to. And he says, who's going to rescue me? For This is Paul 20 years into his ministry. And Paul's point, I will tell you and I will defend it, is that the sin that you must struggle with the most in this life is yours, not someone else's. Sorry, that's not even in my notes. All right, let's keep going. Um, there's so much to talk about here, but we see belief in the next couple of verses. Belief in Acts 8, 36, and 38. Wait, what about 37? How many people's Bibles are broken and don't have 37 in it? Yeah, okay, guess what? 36, it's not, it's not there? What? Oh, well, here's why. Verse 37 does not exist in the earliest manuscripts we have of Acts. And so most modern translations leave it out. You want to get into the details of how the manuscripts are used to put together the New Testament? Well, the next time we offer reasonable faith, come to that class. Who's, who's taken reasonable faith? If you've taken it at all in here so you see hands popping up, ask any of those folks about the class would love to see you. are probably going to do it this fall. We talk about how the New Testament was put together. We talk about the manuscript evidence, and it's mind-blowing how great the manuscript evidence for the New Testament is. And that's why when you see verse 37 missing, you're like, wow, that's amazing. The latest, the, the, excuse me, the very earliest manuscripts don't include verse 37. And keep in mind, by the verses are not in the manuscripts. That was added later. Okay, so just a quick That'll help you possibly in a Trivial Pursuit game someday. Um, so let's go ahead and read verses 36 and 38. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This shows that the Ethiopian did in fact believe and that he wanted to be baptized to declare his belief. He saw the truth of God and he knew it was for him. Maybe Philip even ended his explanation of the gospel with an appeal for baptism, just like Peter did at Pentecost. In any case, they both went down into the water and Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And poof. You're like, poof? Yeah, poof. 
Poof. Acts 8, 39 to 40. Look, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Poof. He's just gone. Okay? That's a strange, possibly unprecedented thing that happened in Scriptures. But a similar thing happened in the, when the disciples' boat came instantly to its destination. In John 6, 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat. This is Jesus walking on the water. Great, awesome, wonderful thing to... And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. It instantly got there. All of that. Double outboards. Um, and a similar thing is going to happen when the church is caught up together with Jesus at the rapture. Amen. This is just maybe a little picture of that. Mm. And listen to this, guys. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. There is a group of believers in Egypt called the Coptic Christians, and this man is their spiritual father. And I just love that. It's just, it's just beautiful. And they're, they're persecuted even today in Egypt in a very difficult place. Verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and, he passed, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Wow. Okay, first of all, Philip found himself. <laughs> One, I really do. I need to see the movie. I want to know what it looked like, how that all worked. But this shows that Philip started preaching not only to Samaritan cities, but also to the Gentile cities, such as Caesarea. And this is the very beginning of the gospel's spread to the end of the earth, like Jesus commanded in Acts 1.8. No wonder that Philip is the only one. He's the only one in the New Testament specifically given the title of the evangelist. And it's in Acts 21, verse 8, if you want to dig in and see it. He's the only one given the title of the evangelist. And Acts 21, 8 finds him still in Caesarea, doing his work of evangelism there. So, love it. Sneak peek next week, guess what happens? Paul gets converted. Saul gets converted, so come back. It's going to be great. But I want to take a look at three things that we can learn from an Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. Say that five times fast. First, God does the preparing. We have to own this. We have the mindset that everything is on us, on our performance. The spread of the gospel is about how good the words we use are. no. God does the preparing. God is preparing people in your life right now. We need to be seeking the Holy Spirit's leading in who those people are and how they're to be approached, but God is doing the preparing. Make no mistake about it. When you read Acts 8, the preparation, wow. And so I wanted you to hear me. When it comes to the spread of the gospel... We get to be a part of what God is doing. It is not that God gets to be a part of what we are doing. But don't you see how we often think that way? We get to be a part of what God is doing. It is not that God gets to be a part of what we are doing. When we say it that way, we're like, oh, 
But man, that isn't our thinking. That said, we sure do have a part. Next, next lesson, we need to ask good questions and we need to be good listeners. You saw Philip. Do you understand what you're reading? You want a couple good questions? Here are a couple. And if you're here checking us out, not too sure about this Jesus guy, these are two questions that are important for everyone. Question number one, do you know for sure that you are going to be with God in heaven? That is a great question. It's a wonderful question. Everyone has an answer. Yes, no, I don't know. Do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? Second question. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If you'd like these questions um, written down, well, go watch the live stream on YouTube or Facebook later, and you can write these down. Or send me an email, I'll write them down to you. I'll, I'll send them to you. What these questions do is find out what people believe are the entrance requirements to heaven. What are the entrance requirements to heaven? And if your answer to the question is, why should, why should I let you into my heaven, is because you've worked hard, or because you're a good person, or because you've gone to church, or because you're better than someone else, specifically that jerk down the street, that's an indication that you believe you can save yourself. Jesus said that if you want to save yourself, if you want to get to heaven on your own, there is a way. He said, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are the entrance requirements to heaven. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to earth, he bled, and he died to take on our sin so that we could be the righteousness of Christ. And it's faith, it's trusting in that and not trusting in myself that makes all the difference. And so when we ask questions, we need to be good listeners. We need to hear what things are in the way for them seeking God and understanding him. It is our job to gently, humbly, respectfully help people remove obstacles that might be keeping them from Jesus. And we cannot do that without being good listeners. Listening is a huge part. So the last lesson today from an Ethiopian eunuch, where they are doesn't matter. Only Jesus matters. It's important to note that when Philip went to the Samaritans, we don't get any account of arguing over which version of Scripture was best or where the temple should be or any of a thousand arguments that had separated Philip's people from the Samaritans for a thousand years. We don't get any indication of that at all. What does it say? If you go back earlier in Acts, it says he preached Christ to them. He preached Christ to them. And when Philip encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, we don't read anything about how Deuteronomy says being a eunuch is not a good idea or that the Ethiopian should be tithing from his large amount of wealth. The passage tells us he told him the good news about Jesus. 
Philip's number one concern was that people hear about Jesus. It was the only thing that mattered. And what we tend to do, and let's be honest with ourselves about this, is we tend to be really good at pointing out where people are off when they sin with sins different than the ones we struggle with. And so when our message to the world is, behave like me, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news about Jesus. That's the bad news about you. We're not sharing the gospel biblically when we just want to reproduce people that behave like us. Nowhere in Philip's ministry of evangelism do we see him poking people in the chest about their struggles. He's presenting Jesus as the answer to all of it. Where they are and what they have done doesn't matter. Only Jesus matters. And if they follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence and lives change. And it's a beautiful thing. God loves you and God loves them just as they are and not as they should be. Only Jesus matters. We saw that last week too with the finger many things that point to him only Jesus matters and so we finish today with our main point as well as a quick update God's love runs to the most rejected and the most far off does yours God's love runs to the most rejected and the most far off does yours we finish Acts 8 today, and it shows how God in his providence brought the message of Jesus to the most rejected and the most far off. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All includes everyone in this room. And we're made right with God because of what Jesus did for us. And this is what we're going to celebrate as we remember what matters during communion today. We're going to go right into communion. And as our kind of theme verse today, just for this small time we have. Verse 5, from the passage that the Ethiopian was reading, upon him, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Charles Spurgeon, preacher from 100 years ago or so, he said, he says this, just listen. He says, if I were to die for any one of you, what would it amount to but that I paid the debt of nature a little sooner than I must ultimately have paid it? For we must all die sooner or later. But Jesus needed not to die at all so far as he himself was personally concerned. There was no cause within himself why he should go to the cross to lay down his life. He yielded himself up, a willing sacrifice for our sins. And so, you want to grab the bread, open the... As, as part of our time together... As, we, as what we're doing here is remembering, this is what we're commanded in Scripture to do, to remember what Christ did for us, lest we ever forget. And so if we just bow our heads, I'm going to read some of this passage that Philip was, Philip was explaining to the Ethiopian.
Just bow our heads and just listen. It's not up on the screen. The passage says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. When Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me just keep reading verse 6 of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, all of us. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus said, this cup, did you get the juice or whatever ready. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. The singers and musicians can come up. Heavenly Father, every time we open your word and we listen, we will be challenged. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we look at people as projects. Forgive us when the sin some people are struggling with would keep us from loving them and would keep us from building a relationship with them and would keep us from sharing the gospel with them and would keep us from being a light to them. Forgive us. Help us to be those that understand understand fully what Paul said when he said, we are not under law, but we are under grace. We are a people under grace. We have the riches and the righteousness of Christ all bought for us by Jesus himself. And we've been called to be a light to the world. Help us to do that. Thank you for the account we've been able to study today. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to look into your word and see some of the first examples of evangelism in Scripture and how it's all about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to close, guys, with the song, You Alone Can Rescue. Who gave themselves? Nobody. If you're here today, you believe that you can rescue yourself, may today be the day that you really ask some questions about that. Thank you. Please stand as we sing.